hearts and minds to, Lord, we desire that we would know your true intentions, your best, your plan, God, your purpose. And tonight we just pray that you would just stir in us, God, a passion for truth, God, a passion for restoration, the redemption for your children. God, we know that even the prodigal son, God, as he came back, God, the loving father ran to him. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would run to us tonight as we embrace, God, your truths and we talk about these things. God, we love you, we worship you, and commit tonight to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give the band a hand? Thank you, guys. Awesome. Well, you guys can have a seat. We're going to get started here and I'm going to have my wife come on up. Can we give my wife a hand? The epic wife. So, um, we can put the text message slide up. We've got a couple already coming through. So, uh, how this is going to work is uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about some of the responses to last week, and we're both going to share a little bit of uh, information on what we felt um, that God was doing. But also, as we began to dialogue with some people, there was some thoughts and questions uh, that were still uh, left open. So, we're going to talk about those, and we're excited about that. So, um, Camille's going to share a little bit about what she thought about last week. You guys get a seat. Oh, hello. Um, I feel like I'm on a talk show right now. Oh, hello. <laughs> my husband. My coffee. Um, yeah, I thought last week was really awesome. Uh, is that me? Uh, it's God. Hello, God. The Holy Spirit is here, everybody. <laughs> um, for those of you that weren't here, we had Chris Volaton, uh, a pastor from a church up in Reading, come down and he has a movement he's kind of heading called Moral Revolution, where he's basically traveling different locations and just talking about um, God's view on sex and God's view on relationships. And um, that was kind of his message from last week. And it was a really awesome night. But I really got my mind kind of thinking because he presented some things in ways that I had never heard before. And it started making me think of my own journey, and I mean, we've now been married just over six years, and um, yes, you can clap. Yeah. Um, but and they uh, said we wouldn't last. I know. What? It's still going. <laughs> um, and just kind of my journey, and just going with what he said, and just how it applies to different people, and there are just a couple things I wanted to share with you guys, some things I really liked and some things that made me think differently or deeper about other issues before we get into the questions. Um, one thing I really liked that he talked about was he talked about making a commitment in your mind to God before you are ever in a situation where you make a commitment to not have sex until you're married. And he kind of brought up the point of if you make that commitment separate from that situation or before you're in that situation, it's a lot easier mm -hmm. to actually stick to that commitment than if you leave it up in the air until you're in that situation to, to decide. And I was thinking about what he said, and I really think that's why one of the main reasons why I was a virgin when we got married. Um, because when I was younger, I grew up in a Christian family, and I was exposed um, to some good teachers that kind of taught about, you know, why God wants us to wait to have sex when we're married. 
So when I was really young, before I ever went on a date with any guy, I had just decided in my own mind that that was going to be a line I drew in the sand. And I wasn't going to have sex before I was married. And this was before I'd ever kissed a guy, before I'd done anything. So I didn't even know it was going to be hard. In fact, sex kind of freaks me out, the thought of it. So it was really easy at the time to be like, no way, and draw that line. And I think the neat thing about drawing that line was that of course, what ended up happening, not of course, but as I got into high school and I started dating and I dated non-Christians, I dated Christians, and I sure enough found myself in situations where that's where it was heading, I had in my mind already so sealed this commitment that that's not a line I'm going to cross. And I really think that having made that commitment outside of those situations, what made it so much easier for me to stick to it. But what it also made me think about was all the stuff I did that wasn't actual sex. And I think the reason a lot of that stuff happened was because I made the commitment to not have sex before I was married, but I didn't make a commitment to anything else. And so it was more of like I would, you'd kind of decide, you know, in the heat of the moment how far you're willing to go. And because I had not made any other commitments, I pretty much was always a lose situation because you don't, it's hard to hear the Holy Spirit sometimes when you're making out. And (laughs) to be honest, at least to me, it was. Um, And so I really think that one thing I took from Chris Feldman's talk was just the power, total power that comes from making those commitments before God when you're not in those situations already, whatever it is. And if you can make that commitment in your mind, God can totally help you stick to that when you are in those situations and times of trial. If you wait until you're in the trial to make that commitment, it is a heck of a lot harder, and you have made yourself such a bigger battle to fight. And what I wanted to say out of that is that it's never too late to make that commitment. I happened to make that commitment when I was really young, but a lot of us never even think about it or never even taught about it, or have just been in situations where we haven't made that decision and you do have, do have sex before you're married. And we know a couple things. Shame and guilt are not from God. They're not from God. That's not who he is. He did not create us to feel shame or guilt. He doesn't want us to feel shame or guilt. Those are not who we are. He wants us to make that commitment before him at any point. And uh, we're, Stephanie brought up when we were praying before um, the story of the prodigal son. And I thought how much it so applies to the situation and how you have this prodigal son, talks about in Luke, how he goes out and he does all these things and screw his family, he squandered his inheritance, he spent on more things, he's ended up in a pig pen. And he decided to go home to beg his, for his dad for a job as a servant not even expecting to be treated like anything higher than a servant or a slave because of all the horrible choices he had made. And he goes home, and his father sees him, and his father runs out of the house and embraces him and throws a huge feast for him. And it says in the Bible that when we make these commitments, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. They're not focusing on what we've done in the past. They're not reminding us of what we did in the past. There's nothing else, there's no reason we're, any of that blessing is taken from us because of what we've done in the past. And so I think that's the other thing that I really think was thinking about is how we can make this commitment at any point in our walk in relationships. And God completely honors it just as much as if you made that commitment before you ever had sex. 
it's totally new. He promises us that when he dies on the cross, he washes away our sins. And so someone that decides to make that commitment before they ever have sex, or someone that makes a commitment afterwards, it doesn't make either one better or worse than the other. I am no better than anybody that didn't make the same choice. It's just the choice that I made, and I wanted to get blessed for it. And when you make that decision, God is totally going to bless you for it also, and nothing is going to be taken away. And the only thing that God doesn't take away, he doesn't take away the consequences. He doesn't want us to feel shame or guilt, but, you know, obviously here on earth when we do stuff, it has consequences to it. So... I think those are just a couple of things that I wanted to touch on before we got going. Awesome. Uh, I had the privilege of actually doing some consulting with uh, Chris and his team before uh, the night. And so what I do is I help companies uh, put together strategies for expansion and global reach and for marketing and communications. And so I actually had a, a really privileged opportunity to actually sit down with his team. And I actually heard his heart for more revolution and for his heart for teaching on purity and relationships. And, uh, and it, it's a, exactly in line with what I've always believed to be true is that the issue in the church is that uh, there's this proverbial like finger in, in the face about no, 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 no. And it's always about don't do this and this is the consequence and you'll get HIV and you'll have, you know, and it's always about the negative. And his heart is like, I think it's time that someone stand up and talk about what is at stake, like the great grand benefits, the treasure that we have to give in relationships when it comes to our sexuality and when it comes to our purity. And so his whole entire emphasis was that I believe that they need a paradigm shift from not what not to do, but to what to look forward to and to esteem the great things that we have within our relationships. And so from that context and his perspective of that, he is so passionate about, I want to uphold the righteousness and the gift and the treasure of this, is that sometimes in there, for those of us who have, have stumbled and have struggled, it comes across as like, wow, now I know what I, I really, I really messed up now. And so as we dialogued with some people, it seemed that uh, some people felt like, well, you know, that was great, except uh, I have a checkered past. Um, and I, I think that the topic of redemption needs a little bit of a, of a footnote, um, at least from, from last week. And, uh, you know, Chris on those settings, I mean, more revolution is supposed to be a four-hour event, and we capped him to about an hour and a half. So uh, we need to give a little bit of grace for those circumstances that we can't expect all the balancing statements in that context. And so, uh, but I did want to speak a little bit to it, um, just on the redemption side of, of things. Uh, first off, we need to know the, the role that Satan plays with our sexuality. Uh, the very first thing, after God created Adam and Eve, he said that I will, he took Eve from uh, Adam's rib and says that uh, I'll call her woman because she's from man. It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his, his parents and be joined with his wife, and they'll become one flesh. So God mentions sex right after creation, right even before Satan was in the picture, before anything else. We also know that 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that our bodies are God's temple and God's spirit dwells within us. 1 Corinthians 6 says that all other sin is outside the body, but sexual sin influences our body. And so our bodies are the living temple's of Christ and his spirit. And so it's very strategic for the enemy to attack that which God has ordained, both in all of creation, but also for his temple. You get in that, that, that Satan is going to be very strategic on taking down God's house. So we all are God's house together. So our flesh is this bullseye target for what the enemy wants to do in our, in our lives. Uh, the, the other consequence, because our flesh 
uh, has a different consequence to sin, we have memories. And we have consequences when our, our bodies and our, our, um, ourselves go into places and experience things that there is a consequence that we have memories, we have uh, a legacy that, that goes past our sexual sin. I bet many of us, as we think of all the, the sins that we've done, you know, I used to do uh, deception things, or I'm trying not to incriminate myself here. I'm sure I've done that's some, yeah, <laughs> no. I've done some Don't bad things, it. okay? Um, but you know what? It's easier for me to put those things out of mind. And I can really easily remember the ways in which I've blown it with uh, relationships and with purity and with things I've looked at and all those different things. Those things have, have felt to stick with me. And that's the unfortunate consequence about the sin against our bodies. Now, what the enemy is going to do is that since that our, our flesh, what is not of this world, we are not of this world, but our flesh is, that flesh is going to carry this legacy memory, and that's going to be a conduit for shame. And that is the strategic pinpoint that the enemy wants to use. He wants to use that memory of the flesh to hold you down in shame, because he's hell-bent on taking down the house of God. Mm -hmm. So we know that the game plan that the enemy's going to do is he's going to attack us in our flesh, try and take down the house of God. He's going to try and then hold us in that guilt through the memories and through the shame. That is the enemy's game plan. Now, let's talk about redemption from that, though. Because we all fall. There is no place in which we become disqualified to be used for God. There's an easy way to look at maybe something from last week and say, okay, I've missed the mark for us to say that we're maybe damaged goods. Maybe we're disqualified from having happiness. Maybe we're so far away from ever experiencing what God wants. And that is a complete lie. That is a lie that is just aligned up with the shame that the enemy wants to use with your flesh. And I'll give you an example. Jesus, when talking with Peter, uh, this is in Luke chapter uh, 22, uh, Jesus, but before Peter even did anything, he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He, he, t- he told him, like, the enemy's going to come after you. He's asked that he's going to sift you like wheat. He's going to come after you, and you're going you're to, you know, fall. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He prayed that though you're going to stumble, I pray for you that your faith will not fail because of, that you'll stumble. In fact, Jesus says, but when you turn back, you will strengthen your brothers. So he talks about that you are going to fall, but don't let that fall so impede your faith that you are rendered completely useless, that your faith is completely destroyed. One of the the bummer consequences that I see all too often is that when people come and they say they expose maybe their their sin or, or a sexual struggle or something, is that that is an excuse and a ticket to walk out the door and never come back. Why is that? Why, when we are exposed with our failures and shortcomings, why do we run away? That's not biblical. Jesus said, blessed is he who does not lose his faith on my account. If Jesus convicts your heart for an issue or struggle you have, God says, blessed are you who do not lose your faith because of that conviction. Let that conviction bring you back into righteousness. And furthermore, Jesus says that you'll use those circumstances to strengthen your brothers. If you're in a place where maybe you have a past and like, man, that, that stinks— God is not a wasteful God. He's not going to let you go through circumstances when you honor him and let those circumstances be uh, only felt in the consequence. He's going to use them to strengthen those around you. So take what maybe you've had in your past and look at it as, as an opportunity for God to use that for your relationships, your surroundings, to let it be a teachable moment for you with others. Um, I really think that that's really God's heart. 
And also, as we know, that Peter denied Jesus three times. And, and, and Peter says, never, never will I do that, you know. But he does it. But Jesus, knowing all that, says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And Peter, you are a rock, and I will build my church upon this rock. Jesus, fully aware that Peter was going to totally mess it up. We are not disqualified because of anything we do. We're not disqualified from our actions or behaviors. That is not of God. So let me encourage you, at least on the, the, the sexuality side of things, if we have sin and we have uh, things of our past, that God is not going to let that go to waste. We're not disqualified. We're not rendered useless. We're not damaged goods. We have not destroyed any hope for any future happiness. Those are all lies. But we also need to know what the enemy's game plan is for us. It's yeah. all very strategic that we are going to have an onslaught, a direct attack with our flesh. And we have to believe also that if we are God's temple, and I believe that God stakes his whole entire reputation on this thing about sex. In fact, uh, it talks about sex being worship to God and a, uh, a barrier against the enemy. Isn't that crazy? is that sex is a weapon to be used against Satan in marriage. And so if God is so for the righteousness for that, if God is so concerned about the purity and the goodness of sex because he invented it right after he invented Adam and Eve, surely God is vested into restoring your body. Sure he is, is vested into restoring your identity. If we are God's temple and our flesh has been compromised, if it's been defiled, whatever it is, and God's reputation is laid upon our sexuality of our relationships, the purity that God expresses intimacy through that, God is going to be very concerned that he restores us. And he wants that to be restored. We got to believe it. So those are a, a couple of thoughts on, um, yeah. on the, re yeah. the re redemption side. Yeah, one thing I want to say on that too is, I think the question is, what do you do with these feelings of shame and guilt? Because you still feel them. And I think you have to realize that truth is what shatters the schemes of the enemy. And if we recognize and acknowledge that shame and guilt are not from God, and we declare that, and we declare the truth over our lives, that's what gets those feelings to go away. It's recognizing them. It's not bearing them. It's not hiding them. It's not trying to ignore them. And the more you kind of step into truth, and start, just like what Eric's talking about, start realizing who you are, who God created to be, how he doesn't want us to feel bad or shameful or guilty, but he wants to redeem us, and he wants to bless us for making that commitment to walking it out with him. The more we recognize that, say that, walk in that, take those steps, the more you're not going to feel those feelings of shame and guilt, because the enemy can't penetrate truth. And I think so often we just feel these feelings and we kind of stuff them in and hide them. And so I just want to say that as a thought to kind of how you get rid of feeling shameful. When we engage in sin, we are participating with a lie of the enemy. At the root of every sin, there's going to be a lie of the enemy that is central. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's lying. If, if your sin is lying, there's going to be a central lie that you are believing in your heart that the, the enemy is using that is compelling you to act out in sin. Galatians 2.20 says, if Christ is in me, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So we have a nature in which is being compelled and being lured in by the enemy. So when we engage in sin, 
we are particip participating with the lie of the enemy. Now, our culture is, is more prone that our behavior is going to dictate our identity. What you do is who you are. Yeah. And that is not biblical. It should be your identity is what dictates your behavior. Yep. Your identity should dictate your behavior. Your behavior should not dictate your identity. Mm -hmm. So you've, if you've had behaviors, don't let that put the identity on you. Your identity is Christ forgiven, Christ redeemed, a new creation. That is your identity. Now, as we look as what does the restoration process look like? And this is just something that came to me this week is, is I think that... Uh, the normal habit in church when someone messes up um, and they come to maybe leadership or something is that all too often uh, other Christians partner with Satan to produce shame and to produce guilt. And they talk about how bad that was and oh, this is this. And, and I think that maybe our culture, because you know, we're a little bit looking around about who's righteous and who's not and who's doing what. And, you know, the sexual sin is really juicy and really good to, like, point out. And people like to pick on that more than a lot of other sins that are in the Bible. But what happens is that we as Christians, we have a habit of partnering with, with Satan in enhancing and enforcing shame. And we like to maybe rub someone's nose in their shame, don't we? So as we look at, what do we, what's the opposite of that? If someone's behavior is forming their identity, what is the most loving thing that we as other Christians can do? Can I challenge you to seek prophecy? Can I challenge you, if you are considering about what God's role and voice in your life is, to seek prophecy? And here's why, is that prophecy is used for the furtherment of God's intentions and purposes at all times. And prophecy is always at the greatest impact when it's in the face of opposition and sin. You look at the entire Bible. People are prophesying when there's the greatest opposition and in the face of sin. So we as God's people, if we feel that we have a red phone to God, which we're promised we do, the most loving thing that we can do with someone when they come to us and they have a past, they have an issue, they have a sin, the most loving thing we can do is lay hands on them and try and restore the identity for who God says they are. Because they're wrestling with an identity crisis. They're wrestling that their behaviors are trying to tell them that their identity is this, and this guilt, and this shame. And so the most loving thing that we can do is tap into the Holy Spirit, pray with one another, and try and restore God's intention and view of their identity. That we wouldn't say, oh, well, you just simply need to go through this 10-step program. You need to do this. I think that maybe a lot of our, our sin and our struggle might be fixed if we had a better idea of who we are. Yeah. I like it. Chris Valton says, it's not about, you know, who you are, but it's about whose you are. You are a daughter and a son of the king. If we have that identity, if we, if we put on, I am the child of the king, I'm not the sinner, I'm not the fallen, I'm not the person who has completely blown in this area, when we put on the righteousness and the forgiveness of Christ, I think it compels our actions to to be more righteous, rather than you need to go get rehabilitated. Yeah. I don't believe in rehabilitation for sin. I believe that we need to correct the identities of our church. So as we look to this, if you are, are engaging and wrestling through, you know, my behaviors and it's, it's affecting who I believe I am, can we seek as, a, as a, a community to lay hands and just ask God to tell us who this person is? That you are righteous, you are set apart, you are forgiven, mm. you are loved. I mean, you read through the Bible and you see that God says that he dances over us with singing. I mean, can you imagine if you impart 
those words to somebody who is feeling completely devastated that God right now is delighting over you. He's singing over you with gladness. I think that God has a much bigger role that we would be that conduit for God's voice for people who need to be restored. Yeah. So I want to you know, kind of maybe move from that, and if you have anything else you want to no, add. No, you can tell we're passionate about the subject. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have some messages. I mean, again, anything goes. I mean, you can ask anything, yeah. really. Because um, we'll delete it if we don't like it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, real quick, uh, what I want to do, I, I was talking with Dave. Dave, can you come up real quick? You're going to share uh, something if this is okay. Yay, Dave! And Dave uh, pointed out something that is, at least for men, I can't speak for women, but at least for men yeah. is one of those things that helps us give perspective of whose we are, what we have to give to our relationships and our marriages. God wants us to have healthy, fulfilling marriages and sex lives and those things. And so um, Dave and I were conversing about something, and uh, he's going to share. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Thanks, Eric. Well, Eric covered just a lot of the things that I was kind of reflecting on after um, going last week, which is the amazing spirit of redemption of grace of forgiveness that you're given i mean mm -hmm. if it wasn't for grace or for, for any of that i mean i wouldn't have my amazing wife and i have a terrific relationship with her i have a terrific sexual relationship with her and i wouldn't have any of that if i got truly what i deserve which i mean uh, i had slept with other women before catherine and then i had slept with catherine before we got married and i mean i was just i was a mess i mean that's that's just, it's not right, but we are forgiven. And I mean, it's, it's just such a terrific um, identity that when you step into that and truly acknowledge that, it just helps you when you're making your decisions. And when you're saying that this isn't me, this isn't, these thoughts of mine aren't mine. And I mean, just to really embrace that and, um, you know, working through sexuality. But uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up that I just that I find interesting that no one really has talked to me about, but how does premarital sex, uh, sex with other partners, how does that affect you once you get married? And I mean, yes, there's tremendous amounts of grace, there's all that, but there are consequences, unfortunately. And the one that I wanted to bring up that I found really interesting is the memories that were brought up. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's so sad that being around my wife and then a song will come on and it'll remind me of just like something in my past, some, mm. some horrible situation that I was in before. And I, I can't stand it. It just brings up, that makes me feel like in that moment I'm cheating on my wife, I'm thinking about something else. And that is just not right, it's not healthy. And so I try to fight that, but I, it just takes so much for me to step into that those aren't my thoughts. That's Satan trying to fight me, and yeah. he's wrong. He's completely wrong. Yeah. So it's, it's terrific when you try to just really access God's love, access his grace, and step mm -hmm. into who you are. Hmm. That's good. Awesome. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. I love it. One of the messages we just got was, uh, yay, thanks for having Dave. We want to hear more from him. Cat, <laughs> <laughs> was that you? No, I'm just <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
What do you guys think? You guys want to move into some questions? We have some that are coming through here. Uh, is there anything there? Uh, should I touch on something more? I know I covered a lot of stuff there, but everyone kind of feel like that was at least coherent for what I was hopefully trying to communicate? Okay. Um, Oops, I'm accidentally calling somebody. Oh, Sorry. Perfect. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. The uh, text in numbers. Uh, oh, for those who are watching online, sorry, I didn't even think about this. The uh, text number for those who are watching live online is 260-797-3187. I love it that people are watching online and texting me. That's great. Thank you. So uh, text mom. the phrase, join Epic. <laughs> thanks, Mom. Yeah, thanks, Mom. <laughs> please don't ask any questions, Mom. Um, I know you're curious, but please don't. Um, when are you guys going to have babies? I'm waiting for that oh one to boy. come through. <laughs> uh, someone texted in, what's the biblical process of restoration? Um, I just, just to reiterate that again, th this is what my, my heart is, is that uh, we have been... Uh, bestow with an obligation that we have the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, Acts 1.8 says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you that you will be witnesses to God throughout the entire earth. You have a responsibility if you have the Holy Spirit in you to owe someone a God encounter, a Holy Spirit encounter where God's voice moves through you. That's not weird. That's not odd. That is totally biblical. We should expect it. If we're not uh, experiencing that, we should embrace it. We should pray for it. We should seek it. Uh, the only way to hit a home run is to swing for the fences. God gives grace in that whole transition, but I think that we need to know that, uh, that God speaks through us. The process, I believe, right now for redemption and restoration is we, we work with people to uh, speak truth into life about who they are, and that sin should be rooted in um, not be contextualized into what I've done wrong and all the bad things, but it should be, here's who you are. The sin, that's not who you are. This struggle, that relationship, that's not who you are. You realize that. I mean, that's the language that we should be using. We should be coming alongside people and communicating God's heart, intention, love, purposes uh, for those individuals. And so I believe that is God's used prophecy. Um, all that, that is is that God speaks through you. That's prophecy. Um, those are words of knowledge. That's all sorts of different things, but that God would speak through you in your surroundings to others uh, to convey who they are. Um, let's go through here. We got a bunch here. So thank you guys for uh, jumping in. Here's an interesting one. When is it ever a good time to discuss your sexual past with someone you're seriously dating? What do you think, sweetie? Um, that's a good question. I, I think my thought on that is that's not something you need to say on a first date or when you get to know somebody. But I think once you, um, you know, as Christians, we should be dating, if, we're, if we want to date, we should be dating with the intent to get married at some point. That's kind of even though God doesn't use the word dating in the Bible, that's kind of his intent. It's either be single and celibate or date and get married. At least I believe in dating. And so my answer to that would be if you go on dates with people, which I think dating is really awesome. I think people should date more because I think it's a great way to get to know other people. I don't think you go on a date with someone and you're making yourself exclusive or you have to marry them or anything. But... Mm -hmm. Um, once you go on enough dates with someone that you know this is someone you are, p could potentially marry, I think that's when, that's a good time for you to, if you have anything that you feel needs to be shared. I'm also not a huge proponent of 
telling the other person all the nitty gritty details of your sexual past. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that edifies them. I don't think that puts images in their mind that they deserve to have. And so I think it's a fine line. If there's something you feel like you need to share that, okay, I just want to let you know such and such has happened, but I, in no way do I think you are obligated to give that person details. And I don't think you should be asking the other person really graphic details right. of stuff they've done. I don't think that does anything to make your relationship healthier. I think it's really unhealthy. Yeah. And I've never asked Eric, oh, well, exactly what did you do and what did you touch and blah, 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 blah. Anybody's ever dated, he's never done that with me. We just, you know, kind of know bare basics. And I don't really need to have images in my mind of anything. Let me also speak to that on one end. I think that that's a little bit of a guise to set a benchmark for how far you should go with that relationship. Is that if you've known that someone has gone so far that you kind of like, you want to be the new dog in town, right? Like you... If really? I can just be honest, I think guys, I don't know, I think guys, guys are, are slugs. I mean, I, I know from others, and this is back in the day, like, it, it was something you're curious about, because you kind of want to know the limitations, you want to know the boundaries, but also, like, yeah, you don't want to... We're talking as mature adults now, not, but like, we're not 13 years no, no, old. No. What I'm trying to communicate is that I, I believe that those questions at least for guys, I, I will not vouch for girls, at least for guys, sometimes can be under the guise of, you know, how open is the field? So... Well, don't go on dates with those kind of people. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean... But I just want to also echo, like, I, I don't know if you've ever had someone who's coming to you and says, man, Aaron, I, I, I love hanging out with you, and I thought you were a jerk for so long. You were so ignorant and, and such a jerk before, but you're great now. I mean... You know how, like, those kind of comments actually do a little more harm than they did good? Like, what he meant for, to be good actually was a little bit harmful. Um, I think that there is a line of transparency that you need to maybe be honest. Don't be uh, deceptive about maybe your past. If they ask, and just say, you know, hey, this is, I made mistakes. If you own it, um, I wouldn't go into the, the further details. I wouldn't uh, cause a, another issue and, and produce insecurity or all sorts yeah, of different no, things of one another. Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, any more on that one? No. There was one up here about someone who God said to uh, wait for and uh, to not date for a year. Where was that? Um, that there was a season they were entering in. <clears throat> I, I'm going to disagree with, with some people on this. I don't believe that... Uh, that there's one person out there that you are just on this collision course waiting to bump into each other in the world. Uh, biblically, there's arranged marriages. Um, people didn't get to choose. It was like, you and you, fam I mean, it's a very family ordeal. And so, Honey, we would never be married if there was arranged no, marriages. No, we would never be married. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Um, <clears throat> Sorry. We would, yeah. If our family has left it up to us, then we certainly wouldn't be here. Uh, I believe that God has given us the power of choice. Uh, I, I don't, uh, I've seen harm with people who said that God told me I'm supposed to marry this person, and now they're married, so I'm expecting they're going to get divorced because we're supposed to be married. It just doesn't sit right with me, so I believe that, that God's given us the free will to pursue relationships we want. We have total freedom to totally mess it up, too, that you are not incapable of marrying the wrong person. Um, but once you are married, that you have to work, and it's a big mistake. I believe that you have to work for God to come and sanctify and redeem and to 
move through that relationship. So um, I'm, I'm not really going to speak to whether you should wait out for that one person. I believe it's your choice. Um, I, I think that you have the privilege in this day and age to find someone who you want to be married to. Um, and hopefully that works out well for you. Um, question for Camille. Is it Eric's muscles that draw him to you or his humor? Ooh. Well, I have a list right here of other things that should draw... No. Um. Definitely both. Um, okay. We'll go back to... I'm calling somebody again. I'm sorry. Okay. Scrolling on this thing. You got to scroll up. Okay. No, I'm scrolling down. Um, does God feel differently about me because I've had sex? Absolutely no. not. No Absolutely not. You are his daughter. Not many of us are parents here, but if you think about your own parents, and it's hard to even, you can't even compare it to your own parents because they're human and they're imperfect. But I know I've done a lot of awful things to my parents, and I know they still love me. And even though there's still consequences to what I do, they still love me unconditionally. So The, the prodigal son story? Uh, Absolutely not. This was great because the, the son, when he wanted to come back, to God. He was like, well, maybe my father will hire me just as like a servant, maybe just as the lowest, you know, person on the farm. And the father goes out and runs and embraces mm -hmm. him, kills the fattened calf, puts the ring on the finger, grabs yeah. the coat. I mean, if you think that God looks at you differently, then you should maybe read through that, that story again. Absolutely not. And, and know that God's heart for you is not changed at all. Another quick question <clears throat> is, if God forgives, why do I feel so afraid of him? And I think that is a really common thing today to feel like, I think our culture or society and sadly a lot of our churches create God to be this big white angry, Gandor, a, right? angry man up in the sky that's like trying to throw lightning, lightning down on people. And if you do something bad, he's going to punish you. And so when bad things happen in your life, they're punishment for him. That is completely false. And that is not who God is. Mm -hmm. He is our Father. He doesn't want us to be afraid of Him. He wants us to be able to feel like we can crawl into His lap and tell Him everything. He already knows everything <laughs> about us. So I think that's just something I know for me I had to um, really work through because I had had these, a lot of times we relate God to our earthly father. And if you have an earthly yep. father that's intimidating or really about punishing, that's how you look at our heavenly father. Yep. And that's not true. And it took me a long time to make that connection. Oh, sorry. I'm calling somebody else again. <laughs> we might need to be excused to have a little marital discussion on how to use phones here. Shh, don't push so hard. Okay. Um, there's a lot of here. Uh, we just did that Can you tell one? about a text message I just got? So um, I'm a horse veterinarian, and I have a surgeon. I diagnosed one of my patients with a tumor on her ovary. And so I sent it to a surgeon to have them remove the tumor, and I didn't know how big it was. And so she texted me a picture of the tumor <laughs> as she removed it while we're doing prayer. It was 50 pounds, the tumor, on her ovary. So she sent me a picture of it in a bucket. <laughs> That's one of my phone. I don't know how you followed from that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Completely related here. It's phone related, just text message related. Uh, there was a good one here. I got a butt in. Yeah. Okay. And this might. Uh, 
we get the mic on? Maybe, uh, okay. Oh, there you go. There you okay, go. now we go. Okay, so I just wanted to um, say this one. This is something that I was really pressed on when I was in um, uh, uh, high school in Bible studies then. But um, the question of how far is too far, <coughs> anything, okay? That is, that's horrible, and I totally screwed this up, but it's going to help you so much, so much more down the road. I mean, you just stop it. I mean, stop it at, like, making out. Because, I mean, uh, straight from Song of Songs, which was thrown at me all the times with this, was do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And the way you read into that, until it so desires, which until the marital bed, do not go too far. Couple reasons. Big one is you can't say to a guy, oh, I don't want to have sex, and then do everything up to that point. I mean, th that goes for girls as well. Because, I mean, you can't, it's so hard to really draw that line when you're going all the way up into it. Especially if you've already crossed it before. So just always know, don't arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Anything's too far. Just please don't cross that line. It'll just help you in the end. So stay up here for a second on that. You guys want a little oh, Greek man. lesson? This was amazing. If, if you have a Bible out, can you at least write down the scripture? Maybe pull this out. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. <clears throat> And let me give you this. This is amazing. This falls right in the line. I'm so glad you said that. First uh, Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. Paul says, "It is good for a man not to marry." Now that's what the NIV says. Now, if you have NASB, you have any of the other, maybe New King James, it will say. And the the proper translation. I don't know why they they translate this in the NIV, but the proper translation is, "It is good to not to touch a woman." Not to touch a woman. That's, that's what the actual Greek is. And the word that's used there is called haptomai. Can everyone say that? Haptomai? Fail. One, two, three. Haptomai. Haptomai. <clears throat> One more time. Haptomai. You got to remember this. Okay. Do not touch a woman. Haptomai. Haptomai is a cute little word. This is amazing. And it means this. And th th there's two types of words for touch in the Greek. The first is haptomai. The second is phileo. So haptomai means to touch in a way that exerts a modifying influence upon it or upon oneself. To touch in such a way that modifies the influence of either the touch-er or the touchy. <coughs> right? It is good not to touch a woman that modifies you, modifies her, increased blood flow, those types of things. It is good not to touch a woman in such a way. It's like, this is, this is phileo, right? Like to touch upon. Phileo means like to touch on the surface of. Haptomai is like, it has a sexual connotation. So, speak, well, anyways. Um, but that, I think it's so intelligent that, that God would place that little treasure, and I found that this morning, that, that haptomai is good not to touch a woman in such a way that it is exerting an influential force, a modifying force of either you or who you're touching. And just right in line with that. So thank you for, for that. I think that's a, a great standard. And um, anyway, I just want to share that with you guys. So haptomai, remember that? First Corinthians chapter 7. It is good not to touch in such a modifying way. And then all the way back into Genesis about the whole shame thing. Um, another thing that is uh, Genesis 
Um, so created man, created woman. It was good. And so the man <laughs> and the woman, uh, the man and his wife, were both naked, and they felt no shame. And so that one, I was reading that a while ago, and that one just exploded upon me, just going, wow. I mean, I'd been in so many relationships that it was always shame. It was always about shame. It was cool during it because maybe you have like some cool stories that you can say, and that's all types of wrong. But um, but you always, I, I always felt just a tremendous amount of shame afterwards. And I mean, it is it's so amazing. Just when it's totally worth that wait to be in the marital bed and to feel no shame. Hmm. So yeah. there is a place for that. There is a place that you don't feel shame with. Yep. your relationship yeah. and just know that it's got to be through marriage. Yep. There is two questions. Thank you, Dave. Um, there's two questions about uh, how to forget memories. And there's one question about, I've been with someone who's really good and bad. How do I live that down or how do I live past that? Um, that's a really interesting discussion about, you know, this fear that you'll never be satisfied again mm -hmm. or that it'll never be as good as in your head or, or the images that you've looked, you know, there's a lot of things in there, and I can just testify uh, that, that God really wants you to have the most amazing, outrageous, shake-the-walls sex life you've ever had in marriage. I believe it. Feel uncomfortable, uh, but I like, if God invented sex, it better be amazing. I mean, think about it. If, if that's the, the next thing he did after creating Adam and Eve is he ordained and created sex and says, sex is awesome, it's great, you two go at it, I'll be over there, I won't look, I you know, like I think that God, his heart for us is that we would have amazing, fulfilling sexual lives. There's nothing wrong with that. And so I think maybe that there's a misconception in the Christian world that, uh, you know, sex is so taboo, it's so the world, you know. And we've heard like, 70, 80-year-old couples, and they will just, like, oh, I didn't need to hear that, you know, and it's, it's amazing, though, you know, like, good for you, like, I don't want to hear it, but I'm so glad that you guys still run around the house naked, or, you know, but, but let, let me just say that, that God's intention for you is that he would exceed and, and fulfill all of your sexual aspirations in the marital bed. There's no reason that, that God wants you to have this you know, terrible sex life in marriage. It's not there. And I, I, I feel that, that God over the past couple of years, and I just said, God, you know, like, yeah, I was able to give my virginity to my wife, but man, there's a lot of stuff that I am not proud of and I wish I didn't do and, and things. And, and I just said, God, would you just wipe those memories away? It didn't happen overnight. But as I began to live in what I want and what our marriage is, like God began to erase those marriages. And, and God is great because he'll give you better memories and he'll give you better experiences. Like if you really, if that's your heart, then God is going to, you know, say, you think that was good? Let me show you what it's really supposed to be like when I'm in the middle. Um, that's kind of awkward, but you get what I mean. So. <laughs> so. I promise this is my last <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Dave, pull up your stool. <laughs> okay. So um, th that's a tremendous, that's a, that's a big question. And I had that same one. Um, I didn't text it, but I mean, or I could have, <laughs> but, um, like, uh, the, the big thing with that is when you're truly and absolutely in love with a person, and then when you have that amazing communication, I mean, yep. for instance, my wife knows how to make the best steak I have ever had. She knows exactly <laughs> what I like on my steak. Little bit of lemon, little bit of salt, 
put in some like garlic and rub it in, and then exactly how to cook it perfectly. And that's just my steak. I mean, think of how much she cares about my, my body. I mean, like, it is, it's amazing when you enter into that level of communication, and then that level of love as well, and you put both of those together, I mean, you, it's, it's nothing you can beat. So just, yeah. just awesome. keep in mind, it's going to break, I mean, it, it breaks any record you'll ever have. Someone correct me that I'm not pr pronouncing half to my correctly. I'm not a theologian. I discovered this in a, in a concordance. So whoever you are, I'm sorry. So um, uh, did you have one that you, you wanted um, to say? No. Call one out. Uh, okay, we just didn't that one. Some of these are, are the same, so give me a second. How do you love, lead, and protect in the spirit while dating? I think... Uh, the answer is, is, is simple, is that your entire focus should be how can you best keep this woman away from sin? If, you, if that's if the one thing you, you take away, yeah. is that you have a mindset of how can I best protect this woman from sin, all the rest is going to be fine. I mean, you can work out, oh, do we, you know, like the same food? Or do you like coffee in the morning? Do we like tea? You know, if your mindset and your focus on leading is centrally around how do I protect this woman from sin, then everything else is going to be great. I mean, that's what true love is, right? I mean, I would hope that all of us would want to be with a mate or a spouse that they wouldn't ever want to do anything that could make us ever feel shame or guilt or ever feel bad about ourselves or what we're doing or, you know, letting down our commitment, any commitments that we've made. And I know it seems like a lot of guys out there, they're not all like this. I know guys I dated before Eric, it was more of how much they could get. And Eric was really one of the first guys I dated where his top priority was me and preserving me and not making me feel like I've done anything, we've done anything wrong. And I think that was such a, that was such a deeper love where he put me ahead of his own desires. And so I think when you look at relationships that you're in, and if you're dating someone that's really pressuring you, or saying that they, you know, need to have sex because they have these needs, baby, you know, or, you know, if you really loved them, you would do X, Y, Z, or that's just what we do. I love you so much. That's why I want to have sex with you. I love you so much. That is so not love. And I would want to be in with someone that has such a deep love for me that they go, you know what? Like, I do want to have sex with you, but I'm going to wait until we do it properly, mm -hmm. until we do it where sanctified. it's right and sanctified in the eyes of God, because I love you and I want to put you ahead of myself. And when you're pressuring someone to have sex with you, you are so putting yourself numero uno, and that relationship's going to have a lot of uphill battles because it kind of expands into every area of your relationship. There's a question about uh, porn and masturbation, and if you should share that with someone you're dating. I, I don't think so. I think that those need to be discussions you have in accountability with other guys. Uh, when you're dating, you're not married. So I think that there's a, a, a tendency in Christian relationships to play pretend marriage and pretend covenant. When uh, marriage, I mean, you need to be that uh, forthright with your spouse, but in the process of dating, um, I don't think it's really, I think that you need to go and become the best version of a potential mate for that person, and that you need to be in accountability with uh, other guys or whoever, other girls, uh, same sex, obviously, uh, for that. If you ever get asked on it, of course, be honest 
don't give any additional detail, you don't need to volunteer, but I think that's something that we work through in our relationships, and uh, I don't think it's appropriate in the, the dating context. Um, we are split on counseling. Any advice? Wow. Obviously, they don't know us very well. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, if you're asking us that question. Um, We're it, huge fans of counseling. Yeah. Huge. It's changed my life. It's changed our marriage. We really had very minimal premarital counseling, um, and I don't necessarily recommend that. <laughs> I mean, we had like two sessions, and basically, ours is kind of funny, because we, we had <laughs> these sessions with, uh, is he a psychiatrist? Yeah, theologian, psychiatrist, therapist, psychiatrist, psychiatrist, and he's actually the actual influence of the Simpson character, Doctor Lovejoy. Yes, it's awesome. So, anyway, just like him too. His name is Doctor Lovejoy, which is a great name, and he, for our counseling sessions, he gave us this test before we ever met with him. It was just to be by ourselves. And Eric and I lived in opposite ends of the state at that time, so we were by ourselves a lot, and we had to take the test. And then he took, we mailed it to him, and then he ran all the results through a machine, and it's like goes through all these areas of your life, and then it's supposed to pop up these red flags of where we answered like really incompatible answers, and then that's what he was going to talk about during the sessions, the areas where we were like totally on different planets. Well, here's the funny thing. So we do the test. I take it very seriously. And we go in, and he starts going, oh, there's some red oh, flag areas. And he's like, Camille, you answered this. And I'm like, yes, I did. That's how I feel. And he goes, and Eric, you answered this. And I'm like, oh, that's what you answered? And he's like, well, I didn't mean that answer. And he starts changing his mind. Like and he does all for all. What would you not do if you couldn't do something the wrong way or so something? Like we're going through this, and he's like, and here's another area. Camille, you answer this. I'm like, that's what I believe. And then he goes to Eric, and Eric's like, well, I didn't mean that one. I really wanted to put A. And I'm like, maybe this is my red flag. I'm just kidding. Where he's like, I don't know. I was just filling him in. I didn't know what to do. And so... We did that for two sessions of him changing his answers. Oh, and we're, we're supposed to be answering a question here. So thanks oh, for... <laughs> come on, counseling. So... Not how I take exams poorly. Uh, we did the two... It wasn't even an exam. So we did two premarital sessions. We got married. And then we were married for three, four years? Three years. It was, yeah, fall of 2007. So now it's three years ago. And we then, for various reasons that I think you guys have heard, and definitely in my testimony, we, well, I was starting having problems, so Eric, being a really smart husband, is like, instead of being like, you're crazy, you need to go to a counselor, he's like, we should go to counseling together. And so we go together, and it takes the counselor about two minutes to assess Eric's not needed. Oh, <laughs> and he's like an accessory on the couch. But we pretended for a while. We pre yeah, he was holding the Kleenex box. <laughs> that was his job. And took like about three sessions of us pretending it was marriage counseling until she's like, Camille, if you're okay, I don't think Eric needs to come anymore. <laughs> and so, but anyway, bit. so. Huge, huge fans of counseling. Yeah. Um, here, here's one thing is that counseling is a big taboo. Like, oh, only people who are Major really, problems, yeah, yeah. need counseling. And I, this is my attitude. We have a great marriage, but if I could have a better marriage, right. why wouldn't I want it? If I knew I could love my wife more, that she could be understood more, if I knew that my life 
and my marriage uh, with her could be better and enhanced through someone who can give unbiased expert advice, why would you be against that? Yeah. Um, some people say, well, you know, the Bible has, yeah, but we know that teaching is also a gift in the Bible, and people have been given anointing. I thoroughly believe that people have been given anointing in these areas, and uh, so I'm a huge advocate. Um, we have no shame on it. In fact, we have a regular appointment that's uh, it's every just, month, every other month, just, just, like every just other so we month can talk. Now. Just standing, and I mean, a lot of times we go in, we're like, things are awesome, but she then helps us, like, plan out what we want to do in the future and just kind of work through other things. So we just love having another person that's confidential to kind of, she knows us now really well. And We have our cards. Anybody who wants, we, we are. And so it's not, when I used to always think counseling is for if you're on the brink of divorce or if you're thinking of breaking up or something really tragic. And I can honestly say, I don't think we've ever really gotten to that point. We just were having some rocky roads and needed some, we just kind of needed some help. And once it gave us the tools, I mean, it completely transformed our marriage, completely transformed my life. Mm -hmm. And I think our marriage is so much better because of it. We had a great marriage before. Yeah. Uh, The other component, um, oh, I just lost it. Shoot. We'll do another question. I'll come back. Hold on. How, how are you guys doing on time? Are you guys feeling okay? Oh, yeah. We're okay. A couple more minutes. Right, we'll just do maybe one song to close. Um, on the counseling side of things, I believe if one person wants to go, you both should go. I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, it's going to be good. If, if one person wants to go, I really think that uh, you both should go. Um, especially marriage, it's no longer like, well, me versus her. You are one flesh. So if your flesh wants to go to counseling, you get your, you know, you do that. I also really struggle with people who say, we've been married for all this time, and, and out of nowhere she left me. I don't think so. How mm-hmm. do marriages fall apart one day at a time? Yeah. So I want to be at a mindset, in my marriage, this is not for anybody else, but I just want to be in the mindset where I'm not blindsided by anything. Mm-hmm. I don't wake up all of a sudden with this huge issue that's completely irreparable. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to have a mindset that every single month, or every other month, or whatever, you know, frequency we want to do is that we go in just like a car needs oil changes, that we just say, hey, we just like a checkup. You know, hey, we, we're talking about this, or, you know, we're through a lot of transition right now, so we just want to say, we don't want to go through this uh, wrong. We want to have a great transition through this. Help us to, to dialogue through this. Also, marriage, too, is, is uh, don't be fooled that, you know, the honeymoon, everything's going to be great, but merging two lives together actually is, is, can be difficult. You come from two different worldviews, maybe of families, different habits, ways and things are done, and there's some conflict there. You get into issues about how would you raise kids or how would you, you know, do with this particular issue, and you have different opinions, and sometimes those can become bigger issues than uh, they really need to be. Uh, I think the counseling side of things really helps that. Um, let's just take a couple quick more. How do you know when you know? You'll know. I think... Uh, sometimes at different times. Different times. <laughs> Um, I, I really think that people date too long uh, when they think, oh, we need to you know, date for two years or whatever. We dated for a year, and I mm-hmm. thought it was like 11 months too long. So um, <laughs> I wouldn't say get married after one month, but I, I think like I felt like, you know, this is a woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. I would like to be with her. Um, I want to be responsible and provide for her, but I want to do the right things. And so um, artificial, how long do you need what? to... I think Christian dating relationships, if you're really trying to do it right, so not having sex, doing those things, 
if you wait too long, it can get really toxic because God didn't create us to live in this stage of like, I'm burning with passion, but I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> and like, all, like, that's not like how God created us. And it can start like getting really toxic. And so I personally, I don't believe in like shotgun dating marriage things, but I don't believe in long engagements. I don't believe in long dating because I think I have seen relationships disintegrate. Mm -hmm. And I think because they date way too long and it just starts getting unhealthy. A few questions about opposite sex relationships in marriage and dating relationships. Um, also, if you've been romantically in a relationship with someone, should you have a friendship with them? I don't think so. I really don't see what fruit and benefit can come from me having this really good female friend that I am so uh, connected with. I mean, we want to have community and fellowship and all those different things, but this should be my best friend. This should be my confidant, especially for the, the opposite sex. Um, even Pastor Rick was talking about, you know, he won't drive alone with another woman. He won't be in a room with a door closed with another woman. And uh, so against the mindset, like how far away from temptation do you want to be? Right. Do you want to be like in this close proximity where all of a sudden we were friends and you know, what happened? You know, we didn't see this coming. Well, I mean, that happened over time. I mean, that stuff is bound to happen. And just have the mindset of, like, how far away from that temptation do you want to be? Do you want to be this close, or do you want to be this close? So I would encourage you, especially if you've had a previous romantic relationship with someone, um, you don't need to bail them out. You don't need to be there for them. God will provide someone else for them. You don't need to be their savior. Continue on. It's only going to cause issues. I don't see any real fruit coming of it. You might disagree with me, but that's my opinion on it. Um, I think that uh, that is, is taking unnecessary energy away from this dynamic. Yeah. Um, oh, man, there's so many good ones on here. I'm trying to go through these One as more. fast as I can. One more. Why don't you pick? Right. I'm trying I've to called, delete all the so ones. I've called four people so far tonight, so 503 no, numbers. The, uh, the, oh, I am. Yeah. Um, Oh, we have the band come up too, and we'll, yeah. we'll finish out. Anybody who wants to um, get together and ask some face-to-face -face questions, too, we're totally open for it. We love talking. We love relationships. We love this community. Uh, we are happy to Sorry. Um, dialogue and teach people how to use phones a little bit better. No. Uh, what would you say to engaged guys who refuse premarital counseling? Well, I guess we kind of touched on I that. I thought that was... Yeah. If one um, person wants to go, I think you both should go. Yeah. And you could sit there and say nothing. Um, can you speak to the difference between being the leader of the relationship and being controlling? Ooh, that's a good wow. one. Because I am very hypersensitive to controlling stuff. So, um, uh, <laughs> I've gotten much better. <laughs> um, I think if you're the leader of the relationship, and as from a woman's perspective, I'm only going to follow someone. I, I'm only going to let someone lead my life that I want to let lead my life. And I'm a very strong woman. So if he is acting in a way that I don't want to, I, this is really, this can be a very complicated question because I, leaders, good leaders don't lead by controlling others. So his leading me actually if he loves me like Christ loved the church, like he's going to have a self-sacrificial love for me. 
And so his way of leading me is not going to be a way of domineering. It's not going to be a way of forcing his opinion down my throat. It's not going to be a way of telling me what to do and when to do it. I mean, that would, we would be in counseling every day, I think, if that started happening, because I wouldn't do that. And so I think my thing is real spiritual leadership is actually, gosh, you can't help but want to follow it because it's self-sacrificial love. And he never goes, submit, submit, woman, this is what we're doing. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll put poison in your soup. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just pull your castration tools. Yeah, I'm like, do you know what I do for a living? I castrate large animals. So, (laughs) but um, I think, you know, maybe I'm really spearing off path here. So if you want to answer that. Uh, Galatians 5 talks about uh, husbands that you uh, wash your wife through the washing of the word. That you give yourself up for. I mean, men, we're called to die for uh, our women. And we're also called to adore them. Even if, if we have intention with them, we are called to adore them. We're supposed to be God's heart for them, communicating love. Because, again, marriage is just a little example of Christ's love for the church. So when you think about, oh, this person's hard to love, think about, are you hard to love when Christ wants to love you? I mean, as men, we are supposed to be representing that love and adoration and that continual, uh, how many ever times you wrong, I still love you, I still forgive you. You are, as the husband and the male, are supposed to take the initiative on that. Even if it later it turns out that you're right, you are supposed to take always the, the road in which you say, I love you, I have to lay down my life for you, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you, We'll work through this. And how you sacrifice for your, your wife is you do things like maybe initiate counseling. Maybe you get in the word. On spiritual leadership, I want to caution any guys um, that spiritual leadership by saying, you know, hey, how many times did you read your Bible this week? And, and those things, like that stuff doesn't work very well. Um, I think the best way that you can lead someone spiritually is that you have your nose in the word. You are on your face yeah. every morning at 6 a.m., 5 a.m., whatever you need to do, you first pour yourself into Christ, and you let Christ work through you and overflow into your relationship. Yeah. I think the best way that you can lead a woman is to be who God has called you to be in the fullness of that. Amen. So whether that's in, uh, in the morning just praying and in the Word, let that overflow to your relationship, but never be in a position of where you're the spiritual inspector. That's not spiritual leading, that's spiritual domineering. Um, yeah, as a side note, if you're a healthy woman, like you are walking in who you are in Christ, you want a strong man because our identity is strong in who we are in Christ. We're children of the king. You know, we have a royal inheritance. He has huge dreams and passions for each and every one of us. And when you start walking in health, you are a strong person because God is not weak and he didn't create us to be weak. And so I'm a strong woman. I want to be with a strong man. And so when he does show these self-sacrificial leadership skills, all it does is make me fall deeper in love with him. Because as much as a lot of times I think we see our parents' marriages or other marriages around us where we see these domineering women that act like they really want these weak men, but they ultimately don't want these weak men. And Eric's not a weak man. He doesn't tell me what to do, but I know that he's a, a pillar of strength and that he is leading our family and that as much as he's allowing God to pour into him, I can have complete trust in where he's leading us and where we're going. Um, but it's not in a way that feels domineering or controlling. So, 
Cool. Let's yeah. all stand. Um, let's just pray, and we'll close out the night with a, a worship song. Can we do How He Loves Us? Would that be okay? Sweet. I love this song. <clears throat> Come next to my wife. So God, we commit tonight to you, Lord, and we just pray that anything that was from us, that was from worldly knowledge and speculation, God, would just be wiped from the memory, from anything that anybody would have written down, and that, God, you just would allow anything that was from your heart, God, your intention, your best, anything that was practical wisdom, God, for godly living, that you would allow that to, to stick in us. Lord, we just pray that you would cause fruitfulness to be here in this place, God, for us to seek the highest and the best of relationships. Lord, we just pray that there would be a breaking of any shame that is in this room, of anybody who's carrying around a weight that is feeling as damaged goods or is, is rejected or is, is disqualified. Lord, we just uh, decry, Lord, your love and your adoration, Lord, your affection for your children. And Lord, we just pray that we would walk through redemption and be restored. And so for anybody, God, here that needs that restoration, that redemption, that... Um, Lord, just a, an identity shift of who they are. Lord, I just pray that you'd bring those people forward. Lord, that we would be able to, as a community, speak love and to pour into, God, your, um, God, your intentions for us. God, who we are. It's about whose we are. And so we just uh, lay upon those promises. Lord, we commit tonight and thank you. In Jesus' name.